Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Romans again, Romans chapter 1. We are just beginning this new series, this new letter, and as we do so, uh, we have a couple weeks where we have just a little bit of introduction, and some of that is going to take place today. And then we're going to take a break, and we're going to let our missionaries speak next week, but then we're going to come back and we're going to get into the heart of the letter of Romans. And so today is still going to be some introduction, there's going to be a little bit of review, uh, but it is going to be a good morning with us as well. As we think about this, I received a, a letter uh, this week from someone I had not had any communication with for about 10 years. And uh, Lisa had a friend once tell us that a good friend is one who you pick right back up with the conversation you left off several years before, and it's like as if those intervening years never happened. Well, I had one of those letters this past week, and it was just an encouragement, just just asking how you doing, what's going on in your life, just an, an encouraging letter. As I sat down then after reading that letter and began to work on this letter of Romans, in many ways it's the same thing. It's Paul writing to uh, just a couple. And, and as he's writing to them, it's, it's writing to them and to those that they're having some influence with. And Priscilla and Aquila, it's a, a precious relationship. And indeed, he sends greetings to them at the end of the book. But as we come into this part, you sense that Paul is not only reaching out to them, but he's reaching out to others that he's never met. And he's an encouragement and he's a strengthening to them. And so as we begin in this book of Romans, we begin to see where God is moving through a man who's never met many of those that he's writing. And yet it is a letter of endearment. It is a letter that forms the foundations of their faith. And it is indeed a precious letter for us to study. The message and the idea that I want us to pull out this morning is that the message and power of the gospel is still to be proclaimed to the whole world. When Paul tells the Romans... What his mission is, it is to proclaim to the world, to the Gentile world, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that he admires about the Roman church is that their faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. It becomes a theme in this book, and it is indeed a theme for us today. The message and power of the gospel is still to be proclaimed to the whole world. We're not done yet. We have some tasks before us. And the task that we have is based upon the power and the foundation that is found in the book of Romans. And so as we begin again this morning in the letter of Romans, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, as we turn our attention back to your word this morning, I pray that you would give us an understanding, give me the words to speak, that they would be your words as we move through some of the greeting here this morning. I pray that we would recognize the power of the commission that Paul was sent with. The message that he has to share is filled with the wonderful truths that the rest of the book spends 16 chapters developing. And as we consider this, we recognize how precious our faith is. And we also recognize how great your love for us is. And so today, as we reflect upon this, I pray that we'd be thinking ahead to next week, where we have the opportunity to share the gospel with those that will come uh, to our church grounds to be a part of the harvest party. And I pray that we would be found faithful in sharing the truth of the gospel message with them. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Later, as we get into the letter of Romans, we're going to find that we're going to slow down. In fact, if you remember, Ephesians were literally word by word, verse by verse, moving through the book of Ephesians. 
Now as we come to Romans, we're going to do something very similar to that, but not today. (laughs) Today we're going to cover 13 verses, because most of those are greeting. They contain the thrust of what Paul wants to tell to the Romans. And so as we recognize this, we're going to uh, soon be able to relish the words that form the foundations of our faith, but today we're going to cover some ground, and we're going to begin to see what motivates Paul as he begins to develop the roots of the gospel. He wants you and I to remember where the gospel came from and how it got to you and I. He wants us to understand that because the middle portion of his book, he spends an extensive amount of time speaking about the role that Israel is soon going to have and has had. So what he's establishing is that, indeed, we have not taken over for Israel. We have not taken the blessings and such that were Israel's. Those continue to remain Israel's and will, again, one day be for them. And so we have the roots of the gospel. But then we also have the recipients of the gospel. And I have to give you a parentheses here. This is the recipients of Paul's commissioning. Not necessarily that only the Gentiles are going to receive it, but Paul is going after the Gentiles. That's his mission. That's what God has asked of him. And so the recipients of the gospel will not just be Gentiles, it'll be Jews as well, but for Paul's ministry, it's specifically and mainly for the Gentiles. And then finally, we have the Roman initiative. The Roman initiative. And one thing that I find interesting about the Roman initiative is this, that you can have a plan, and you can be moving where you think the Lord wants you to move, and God changes it. That's the Roman initiative for Paul. And it didn't just happen to him once. It happened to him at least on two occasions that we know in Scripture where he had a a plan, a desire to go someplace, and the Lord prevented him from going. And so we're going to see the Roman initiative as well. But let's begin in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And really, we understood the first part. We're not going to cover that too much other than read it again today. Verse 1 says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So we're going to stop here, and I want you to begin to look at the roots of the gospel as described by the prophets. Paul is very particular as to how he addresses that which he has been called to. Because remember, Paul tells us later that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was as Jewish as you could possibly be. But what he's saying is that while the gospel came through the prophets originally that it is now reaching out to the Gentiles. And so he's very particular on how he addresses that we get from the Jews to the Gentiles. And from last week, we understand that Paul was purchased, he was called, and he was also separated. But now he tells us what that was for, what that was to do. The message that Paul was to proclaim is the same message with the same roots that you and I are to proclaim. And let me quickly run through what that is. You see, it was first described by the prophets in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the truth that the serpent, or Satan, was going to be crushed by the seed of the woman. At the very first time sin was committed, God promised a Redeemer. And that moves through into uh, Psalm 16.10, where we are told that Christ would not would die, but He would not decay. To Isaiah, where we're told that He would come of a virgin that He would rule on the throne of David. And to Micah, where we are told where He would be born. You see, the Lord has promised a future Redeemer for the people of the Old Testament. And Paul is establishing that it was through those prophets that the gospel message was 
boldly and proudly proclaimed, and that is that the Redeemer was to come. Now, Paul's message was this. Indeed, that Redeemer that was proclaimed has now been here. And we can now look back to Him. You see, He had come, and not just to Israel, even though that it is very clear that the roots of the gospel run through the people of Israel. Paul says, now the Gentiles can believe. This is in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, where God said that all nations of the earth would be blessed in Genesis chapter 12. And so we recognize that it was described by the prophets, but it was also something specific here. And we find this in verse 3. It says, The gospel of God, verse 1, which was promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Now there's two things I want to draw out here. Two key ingredients of doctrine that are important. As we discover and understand that the line of David is very, very important. The first reason is this. Paul says that it is according to the flesh. Now he is speaking of Christ's humanity. And this is something that is interesting about what Paul is saying. He is not speaking of Christ's deity yet. He's going to in a moment. But the other truth that is found here is that if Christ wasn't of fully God and fully man, why would he address according to the flesh? You see, Paul is saying that I'm going to talk about the fact that Christ is a man. But Christ is not only a man, He is also God. But in order to redeem mankind, He had to take on the form of a man and still be God. Paul's message was specifically pointing at this point to the humanity of Christ. If Christ was merely a man, Paul would have not had to single this truth out. But he does single it out. And he does pull it out. And he wants us to understand that Christ was indeed fully man. But he also wants us to understand that Christ was man, but that he was born of the line of David. Of course, the mind of those who had been studying the prophets, as he just addressed, would naturally also expect that Christ would be born of David, and that he would be the ruler in a yet future, even for us, kingdom, and one day sit on the earthly throne of David. You see, Paul draws two things out. One, Christ was fully man. He's also fully God. And he draws the other thing out that he is indeed the promised ruler of 2 Samuel. He is the one that is going to come and rule on the earthly throne of David. And that has not yet happened. So we have a descendant of David, but we also have, it is declared by the resurrection. And you notice something? The roots of the gospel point to one man, and that is Christ. The, you cannot share the gospel message without sharing Christ. You cannot uh, do good things and, and minister to those around us, and I'm saying this specifically for Saturday, and expect them to come to know the gospel message without ever sharing the truth of who Christ is. And that is declared by the resurrection. And so having defended the humanity of Christ, in verse 4, Paul now explains the divine nature of Christ. Look at verse 4 with me. And he says this, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here, Paul is not defending his humanity, he just did that. Now he's defending his divinity. The truth that Jesus is the Son of God is evidenced by the fact that the work of Christ, including the resurrection, was of the power of the Spirit of God who is holy. That is how we would understand this passage. Another evidence is the resurrection itself. 
our thought immediately is to Christ's own resurrection. But that's not entirely what Paul is saying. Because if we were to put this uh, maybe a little more proper, it's not proper English, but it would help us understand, we would say that by resurrection of dead people, we see Christ's divinity. That's what Paul is saying. And this might point to not only was his own resurrection evidence that he was indeed the Son of God, but that of Jairus' daughter, that he rose from the dead, that of Lazarus, who days later he rose from the dead. What Paul is saying is, by the mere evidence of his miracles, we know that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. This fits in the context as we see that Jesus is the Son of God because of His power over death. So Paul says this, the gospel message is that Jesus was fully man, and it is that Jesus is also fully God. It was that He was promised beforehand by the prophets. And then he continues to those who are about to receive it. Verses 5-8, through eight, and I'm going to read just verse 5 to begin with. Scripture says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, among all the Gentiles, for his name's sake. You see, Paul does something that is interesting. He doesn't give the entire gospel here. He gives you the person of the gospel, and that is Jesus Christ. He defends his humanity and his deity. Later, he's going to give you the evidence of it in chapter 3. He's going to tell you the condition of why we need it in chapter at the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. Chapter 3, he's going to give you the heart of it. But right now, he wants you to understand the person of it. And so as we move into the recipients, we have to recognize that the heart of it is Christ himself. And that Christ was now being made available as the gospel for the Gentiles. A truth that we also need to understand, and we'll indeed come back to before we are done this morning, is that the gospel is for all the earth. It is not just for the Jews but it is for the non-Jews as well. It is not just for the Gentiles, but also the Jews. You see, just because the ministry of Paul was directed at the Gentiles does not negate the truth that some Jews can and will indeed and continue to receive the gospel message. But it's pointed right now to the Gentiles. Paul was given a commission as a bondservant to take the gospel to the Gentiles that we would respond in obedient faith that you and I, who are Gentiles, would respond in obedient faith. Before Paul, the promise of the Abrahamic covenant that all nations of the earth would be blessed had not yet been realized. But the sending of Paul, the Lord was beginning the work of reaching the entire world. And the gospel was going to the Gentiles. But he continues, verses 6 and 7, and he says this, Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul now gives evidence of the call. Because you had a certain element. You had those, and we have the same type of, of people in the church today. You have a certain element that said, no, the gospel was only for the Jews. And then you had Paul who's saying, no, I've been commissioned of the Lord to go reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And now Paul says, and I want you to see the evidence that the gospel was indeed going to the Gentiles. And he says this. He says, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. You see, 
Paul points out the evidence as being those who had already believed. You have Gentiles in Rome who have already come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul hadn't even gone there yet. We're going to find that in just a few moments. Paul desires to go there, but he had not even yet gone there. And the gospel message is alive and well in Rome. Paul doesn't say how the Gentiles in Rome had heard the gospel, but uh, there were those who were responding already to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that is the marvelous thing and something that I hope you and I understand. The power of the gospel transcends even our wildest imaginations. It goes out with people who have left from here. And it goes, in fact, we're going to see some of them. We're going to bring them back. We're going to see our missionaries that we have commissioned and sent out who are making believers in other parts of the world. You see, the power of the gospel is beyond our wildest imagination. It was even beyond Paul's imagination. And Paul's custom greeting reminds us of not only the grace needed for salvation, but the grace that you and I need for daily work. Because he says this, he says in verse 7, he says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, call the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's custom greeting, he uses this often in his letters. But the word for grace is not the same grace demonstrated in salvation. This word is for those who already know Christ as Savior and are pressing through the hardships of daily life. Paul says, grace to you and peace from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, may you have the Lord's strength. May you indeed find the grace for today. The word for grace is giving to the believers in Rome the needed strength. The needed strength. Effort for the day. Paul says, grace to you. You see, and this again points to the fact that there were believers who are thriving in Rome. These same believers would soon be persecuted, beheaded, and scattered to all the earth. But right now, Paul is praying for grace for them. But then he gets to verse 8. And this is where it gets interesting for you and I. He says, first... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. We have the proclamation. And this should be true of every single local assembly of believers. Contained in this verse is an interesting testimony of Paul. Upon hearing the faith of those in Rome, there was no selfish thought. I want to take you out of the realm of Scripture here for just a moment and into the realm of your own selfishness. If you've known that you have a commission from somebody, uh, let's even take it out of the realm of, of Christianity, your boss has given you a job to go do. Upon arrival at that specific task, you find that somebody else did it and is taking the credit for it. Now, there's at least a moment of selfish twinge in your heart. There may be the moment of, ha, huh, I don't have to do it. But there's also that moment of going, oh man, they just did my job. Now I'm no good anymore. But you don't see that in Paul. Paul's been commissioned by God to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. He's the only one of the apostles that was commissioned for that specific task. But upon hearing that the gospel message 
has reached Rome, he's excited. He's praising God. He bursts out and prays to the Lord that the gospel is already being proclaimed to the Gentiles of Rome. And this is the same heart we see in 1 Corinthians when Paul chastens the believers there, some of whom said that they were of Cephas, and others who said that they were of Apollos, and others said that they were of Jesus Christ. He says, no, you were all one body in Christ. Paul practically demonstrates that here. And this is a truth that is good for you and I to understand. Those who are sharing the gospel around the world, you and I can celebrate with them that they're reaching the world for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Paul praises the Lord because the truth that there are believers in Rome is not just staying in Rome. It is news that is traveling like wildfire into the remotest parts of the known world. It says, your faith is being proclaimed worldwide. What an exciting testimony. The gospel has made it to the Gentiles, and that message is traveling along with the travelers who are coming and going out of Rome, and it's spreading into all the earth. You see, again, the gospel message is beyond Paul's wildest imagination. And the power of it spreading. And this leads Paul to wish he was there in the Roman initiative. Verses 9 and 10 say this. Paul says, For God whom I serve in my spirit in my preaching of the gospel of His Son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. You see, first we have Paul's prayer. And anytime we begin any kind of initiative, any objective, we should, as believers, begin in prayer. Paul begins here. And he's specifically praying for the church of Rome. He had never been there. But the Lord had brought into his path many from Rome. As we see in chapter 16, he's got a whole list. Greet uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, greet, 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 greet. All of these people. So there were many that he knew from Rome. But he had never been there. This is a sweet personal relationship with, with these people creates such a desire in Paul that he prays for a church he's never been to visit. He prays for believers he's never even met. Now, we recognize that Paul's unceasing prayers to go to Rome are eventually answered. But not the way he wanted to go to Rome. Paul wanted to go to Rome and share the gospel. He didn't expect that the next time, the first time he would be in Rome would be in chains. He comes as a prisoner to Rome later. But at this point, he has the desire to go to Rome. But he has a specific desire for a specific reason. And this is something you and I should glean a lot from this morning. He wants to go to Rome because of the spiritual sharpening that will take place there. Look at verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. And he says this, For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now I want to ask the question in your own heart. Are you excited to come to worship with the believers here this morning because of the spiritual sharpening that takes place? Now I'm going to tell you something. Sharpening is painful. It hurts. 
It's taking the rough edges off. But Paul is excited because he has an opportunity to use his spiritual gifts in the body of believers in Rome. And that thrills his soul, not just because he gets to use his gifts, but the believers in Rome get to use their gifts to sharpen Paul. And it is amazing that no matter who you are in the body of Christ, you will be sharpened by the faith of somebody else. You can be the great Apostle Paul and still be sharpened by the new believer who just came to know Christ as Savior. In fact, I'm here to submit to you that we are most sharpened by the new believers. Because they're the ones that see our rough edges. And they're the ones who go, uh, shouldn't you fix that? You see, it is, it is them that sharpens us. Perhaps this truth is so relish, that I so relish about Paul's ministry as I have experienced it in my own life. Paul desired to be among the believers of Rome so that they would receive a spiritual foundation, that they would receive strength to continue on in the faith, but that he too would be sharpened for ministry. Paul realized the benefit of joining other, joining other believers, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be uplifted, as one sees the mighty hand of God working in and through individual believers. Do you know what motivates Paul? What motivates Paul is to watch a sinner become a saint. What motivates Paul is to watch that unbeliever finally wrestling with the truth of the gospel and finally surrendering to Jesus Christ. You say, well, why would he do that? I want to ask you a question. Have you ever led somebody to that point? And it thrills your heart to watch a sinner turn to saint. And then after that, they become frustrating. But it is, it is wonderful to watch them move. It's hard. But that's what thrills the heart of Paul. You see, Paul as a mere man, used of God, loved to see how the Lord would work through the lives of other mere men. And he gives us a little clue, and I hinted to it last week as well. He gives us a little clue. He tells us that it was by the strength of the Lord. You see, Paul is a mere man. He was able to accomplish what he was able to accomplish by the strength of the Lord. And you and I have that available to us as well. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthians, I came to you in, in weakness and in trembling and in fear, and yet I preached in the power of the Spirit of God. And that's what he tells us here. He says, I want to come to you that I would preach in the power of the Spirit of God. And then... We come to the final part we're going to look at today in verse 13. We see Paul's ambition. And we have something to learn here as well. It says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. You see, Paul has a tremendous ambition. He's been commissioned by the Lord to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And do you know what one place comes to his mind? If you were going to find one place that you could take the gospel to as many Gentiles as you could possibly find, in the ancient world, that was Rome. You wanted to go to Rome and spread the gospel there. Paul sees the gospel being spread out and he goes, I'm so excited about that, i got to be there. i gotta, I got to share the gospel there. Because that's where people are coming. 
And they're coming there and they're being spread out to the whole world. I gotta be there. But he says, I've been prevented so far from doing so. Lord didn't want Paul to go to Rome yet. Paul says again that he has desired often to come to them and he wants to obtain some fruit. Paul was ambitious, but he was prevented by the Lord. Paul's heart is something that we should observe and copy because of this. He was not frustrated. He was not angry and he was not resentful. Or was he discontent? And I want to ask you a question. I've seen it in my teenagers, so I'm going to ask you as adults. Are you content where God has you today? Say, I want to go do something. I want to go establish this for the Lord. I want to go do this because I think it will open more doors for me to share the gospel or to do my ministry, to use my spiritual gift. My question is this. Are you content with where you're at today? Now, this isn't contentment that never pushes you on. This is, this is a contentment to realize that God is working in and through your life and you are willing to be where He wants you today without discouragement, without frustration, without anger, without resentment. Paul says, I earnestly desire because I think if I made it to Rome and I could share the gospel among the Romans and they spread to all the world, I could do my job faster and better. He says, but God doesn't have me there yet. But He's got you there. So I'm going to encourage you and uplift you so that when I come, I may obtain some fruit among you. You see, as we think about this in our world, do you desire to go and do something profitable for the Lord? But you can't. Are you resentful in that? Frustrated that the doors aren't opening? Paul wanted to see people come to Christ, but he was also unable to accomplish that task without the Lord's help. And so he was content as he waited. You see, Paul recognized that while his ministry may be effective in Rome, without the power of the Spirit of God, it wouldn't matter anyway. And so he wanted to preach through the power and the Spirit of God. When Paul says that he wants to obtain fruit, we need to understand this just in case. Paul wasn't talking about the luscious Roman grapes for which they were known. Paul was talking about the spiritual fruit of sinners becoming saints. Sinners becoming saints. Paul knows his purpose and his position as a bondservant was to please his master and fulfill the commission given to him. And he understands this. You cannot please your master and fulfill the commission he has given to you if you are always discontented in it. And so Paul was comfortable where the Lord had him for the time. And so instead of being discontented, instead of being resentful that somebody else was doing it in Rome, he said, praise God. Let me send a letter ahead so that, so that the foundations of your faith would be secure in Christ. And that's where we get the book of Romans. This is the heart of why he develops the content of this letter the way that he does. This is his greatest ambition, not just for the Romans, but to the Gentiles in the entire world. He says, I know that I can't be in Rome, but I can sure establish a firm foundation. And that's what he's going to do. Paul's practical thinking about the church and faith should start the thinking in our minds of those who are true believers all across the globe. We should be about 
strengthening their faith as they are strengthening our faith. We should be about strengthening each other's faith as they should be about strengthening our faith in this local assembly as well in other local assemblies. You see, each is dependent upon the other to reach their neighbors and to influence them for Christ. Now, a word of warning. You must do that along the same doctrinal boundaries of the gospel. When you step out of those, you stepped into a realm that there is no unity. But within that doctrinal realm, as we see churches in Alma, Kansas, and as we see churches in Severance, Colorado, of which we are both a part, we can be strengthening and encouraging and, and blessing them. As we see them reaching out to save souls around them, we can be excited for them. You see, we are also sharpened and encouraged by the reports of those others coming to faith. And this promotes in us the desire to press on and reach those around us for the gospel message. You see, what is amazing to me is Paul doesn't stop where he's at. In fact, he continues to minister. He continues to share the gospel. He continues to do an incredible work where he's at. While he waits for the Lord to open the doors to Rome. And then when the Lord opens the doors to Rome, it's not how Paul wanted it. And yet he still shared the gospel message there. He was content in the Lord. In two weeks, we're going to get into the heart of the muck and the mire of the sinner. And as we do that, I want you to be challenged because next week, you're going to practically experience it in the parking lot just to ourselves. And you have the opportunity to share the gospel message. Be content with what the Lord gives you in that respect, but take advantage when He does give it to you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, as we prepare for this week, and I'm fully aware that as an introductory message, it's, it's difficult for us to identify with every aspect this morning. But I'm also fully aware that you have demonstrated immense power in the way that you spread the gospel message. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that we have such an incredible privilege as to bow our heads this morning and to, having already heard the person of the gospel, having the ability to share it next week, I pray that we'd be found content and humble before your throne and that we would share the gospel as we go out this week and in the events to happen, especially on Saturday. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word and the power that is found in it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.